Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is another episode of our NBA Wheel of Fandom series, and today we're going to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers with our good friend and guest today. He's a TU alum. He is the the creator of Piper Productions, and he's also a content creator on YouTube with Blurred Nest. Please welcome Ooh. Rashad Christian. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited because uh, finally get to talk about the Clippers happily and positively. So <laughs> I'm excited. Rashad, just tell us a little bit about Piper Productions and your YouTube channel real quick before we get started. Okay, so Piper Productions is a multimedia business, so I do, I take pictures, you know, I do portraits, uh, grad shoots, all that stuff, and then I do video on the side, um, just a bunch of editing and filming and stuff, and then um, Blurred Nest is a channel that I, I actually just rebranded my main channel to start covering, like, you know, anime, Pokemon, um, and Marvel, maybe some DC stuff too. So basically just all the nerd stuff you can ever think of is going to be on that channel. So Blurred Nest on YouTube and Piper Productions on Instagram. We will have both of those links in the description below when the episode drops on Thursday. So just to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. So their team record this year was 47 and 25. They finished fourth in the Western Conference. Their head coach was Teron Lue in his first season as Los Angeles Clippers head coach. They finished 10th in points per game, and they also finished 4th in opponents points per game. They finished with an offensive net rating of 4th in the league, and they were 8th in the league in defensive rating. They made the playoffs this year, took it to a 7-game series with the Dallas Mavericks. They also defeated the Utah Jazz in the conference semifinals, but could not get past the Phoenix Suns in the conference finals. So just to begin the episode off with a team grade for the season. So Rashad, being that you are the Clippers fan, you will go first. What is the grade that you give the Los Angeles Clippers this season? So I think when I was thinking about it, I was, you know, automatically it's like Western Conference Finals appearance for this team, I think is an automatic like A tier. The fact that they couldn't get it done, obviously it was an A minus. And the fact that Kawhi Leonard got hurt also kind of hurts their overall grade. But in terms of, what people were expecting of this team. I think those expectations were definitely lowered this year because last year was like hype central for the Clippers. And now, you know, all the media eyes kind of got taken off of them and they performed really well in the playoffs. So I think an A minus is probably where I sit at right now for this team. I think they definitely exceeded certain expectations, especially after Kawhi's injury, but yeah, they, they played good all playoffs and all season. Jalen, what about you? Because this is a team that we had high hopes for last season. But this year, they were able to make it to the Western Conference Finals for the first time in a very long time in their team's history. So how do you feel about their season? I think the I think A minus is probably around the lane that you have to stay in because obviously like you still have to talk about the caliber of this team from a talent standpoint. We have two superstar caliber players in terms of Kawhi Leonard and um a guy in Paul George who, although people are a little bit lower on coming into this season, has really kind of played himself back into like that top five tier of his position. Um, I think that you have to be kind of glad with the way things went out, especially with the fact that they were able to overcome the Kawhi Leonard injury. Now, I think one of the bigger things that stood out to me, though, when it comes to giving this team a grade is that they had a lot of things 
not work out their way and the next man mentality like actually played in their favor more than you would assume right so there was a lot of circumstances where like Luke Kennard was not a heavy producer for this team after being traded from the Detroit Pistons he was not a great contributor for this team for most of the year there was a lot of DMPs until the playoffs hit Serge Ibaka was a guy who was injured for like what felt like half the season it might have actually been most of the season uh DeMarcus Cousins didn't get a ton of playing time for them the trade for Rajon Rondo Rondo was a trade that uh, I'd say this, I guess, sparingly, but like Skip Bayless said, would be a player who could be a serious like wheel turner for this team because they need a primary facilitator that can just run the offense for the team as opposed to like a bunch of either scoring guards like how they have Lou Williams or a guy in Patrick Beverly who you're not really asking to carry or I guess properly run an offense. Rajon Rondo really didn't do very much. So in terms of that, Nicholas Batum, Terrence Mann, who we saw, Rashad will probably be able to go and go in a little bit more about him and his performance in the playoffs. Reggie Jackson, for sure, who's probably played himself into some big money this offseason. They were able to get big production from those other guys in a way that I don't think we could have anticipated with everything else kind of not working in their favor. So you got to give them at least an A minus. I think the perseverance is the thing that keeps them in the A tier, like Rashad was saying before. I have to agree with the panel and give them an A minus. I definitely think making the Western Conference Finals was was impressive for this team, considering that they had even higher expectations than last year, considering that they did not make it to the Western Conference Finals with a team that had a lot of talent and a lot of depth on it. And they came into this year with a lot of challenges too. They just lost two six man of the year candidates in Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. They also had to overcome the Kawhi injury in the playoffs, and we kind of saw how how great Paul George was again in the playoffs. And he was a guy that really led this team, not only in scoring, but he was the leader on the floor when Kawhi was injured. And then Teron Liu as well. I feel like Teron Liu doesn't get enough credit for the job that he's done with this team, being able to take them to the Western Conference Finals, having that experience coaching a superstar in LeBron James. And now translating translating that success over to the Los Angeles Clippers. I think that was the big thing. But transitioning to something on the agenda that we believe needs to be done with the Los Angeles Clippers. What is something that needs to be done this offseason with the Los Angeles Clippers? And Rashad, I'll start with you. I think in um, Jalen Tunstrong, when he mentioned Rondo, um, they brought Rondo in to be the playmaker, right? They They brought him in to be someone who could take the ball out of Kawhi and PG's hands, set them up on offense, and also run a few plays and actually run some schemes. Didn't work out the way that they were envisioning, but, you know, Rondo is still an average NBA player at this point. But they need that playmaking still. They're still on the hunt for that. There, there are a couple point guards out in the out in free agency that we'll, we'll touch on later. But, yeah, they really, really need to address that because as good as Reggie Jackson is at ISO, as good as Paul George and Kawhi are at ISO, it does not work, right? There there are not teams that just win championships based on isolation basketball. And we saw that because once once your ISO starts not working, there are no schemes to fall back on because you're not getting into any sort of rhythm. You're kind of relying on these difficult shots and tough shot making, which is something that they struggled with last year. Like that was part of their problem was that, you know, you're up 3-1, you're playing ISO ball, and all of a sudden the shots aren't falling. All of a sudden the other team's catching on fire. They're running their own schemes, and now you can't catch up because of your style of offense. 
And I think Teron Lou, like he saw it. They made the they made the the off season choices and, and decisions to you know bring in players who could actually help in that sort of area. But in the end, they're still on the hunt for that. And playmaking, I think, is top top priority. Like I don't think you pursue anything else until you get this playmaking role filled. And you touched on Rajon Rondo, and he was a guy for the Lakers that you could rely on for that sort of for that sort of stuff. And then also you combine that with his court vision and his IQ, that adds another element to a Los Angeles Clippers team that needed somebody who could have been a playmaker. But unfortunately, he just was not that guy for them last year. And then you mentioned Reggie Jackson as well, who we will talk about later. He's He's going to be a free agent, and we would assume he's going to command a lot of money. So who's going to fill his role as the starting point guard? Which I will transition to Jalen on with this one. What is your one thing on the agenda for the Clippers that needs to be addressed this offseason? I think the biggest thing they need to address is what do they want to do um, with Kawhi Leonard? Because I feel like the idea of Kawhi Leonard and everything you move to acquire him is huge, but... The idea of what to do moving forward in terms of a team that's either around him or without him has to be the biggest topic of conversation. I think that we'll be focusing on a team more so placed around Kawhi Leonard more than the idea of him leaving. I feel like as much as that's been discussed with teams like Dallas, uh, the, the Lakers sort of kind of, um, in the mix and other teams that have been kind of mentioned here and there. I think the reality is that he is going to return to the Clippers, especially with this injury, which we'll probably go into a little bit more in depth later on. But like, I think that you have to come up with an ideal situation for what a team around Kawhi Leonard can look like, not just from a locker room standpoint, but from an actual production on the floor kind of standpoint, because it does seem like, um, it does seem like building a team around Kawhi is not as simplistic as it might seem when you're dealing with a guy who's the quote-unquote quiet superstar who kind of just comes in, plays on both sides of the floor, and handles his business. Like It might seem like that's just an easy plug-and-play system, but I think it's a lot more X's and O's to it um, than people realize, and I think that needs to probably be addressed as well. His injury really affects things, too, in the long run. We thought it was originally a thigh contusion. Now it's a partially torn ACL, and there's talks that he may not even play this season. So whether or not he picks up that player option, it probably won't even affect what happens this upcoming season because he may not even play. So if you're the Clippers, how do you how do you configure a team without Kawhi Leonard. And I think that's going to be another thing heading into the offseason that the Clippers are going to focus on. But just talking about what the Clippers have to work with in the offseason in terms of cap space, their three largest contracts are Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Marcus Morris. Paul George is making just over $39 million, Kawhi Leonard making over $36 million, and Marcus Morris is making over $15 million. In terms of cap holds, they have about $2 million in cap holds. And then in terms of the luxury tax, they are over $12 million in terms of current luxury tax space. I think it's safe to say, Jalen and Rashad, they don't have a lot to work with this offseason. So I think this is a similar situation with the Celtics where most of their signings, most of their trade acquisitions would have to be through the signing trade. So with that being said, Rashad, given what I have just read off in terms of the cap situation, 
what do you believe is the next step for this team? Here are the options. You trade young players for veterans. You stand pat and allow the young players to develop. You target a big free agent or superstar. Or you blow the team up. So, a little, a little hasty on the blowing up part. But, but I mean, there there is actually a, a lane to think about sort of blowing the team up. But that's, that's a couple years down the line. Um, I think they target a couple free agents. I think I think highest on my list right now is probably Malcolm Brogdon. It might be a little hard, and we're not even sure if the Pacers are really shopping Malcolm Brogdon. But obviously, the Pacers are in a situation where you know they didn't really perform as well as they needed to last year, and you know credit that to injuries, credit it to you know coaching situation with Nate Borgren and, and all that jazz. But I think you you target someone like Malcolm Brogdon, you get package up. You try as hard as you can to get rid of Luke Kennard's contract. So that's $12 million on the books. That's basically dead money. And you, you try to get someone that can come in and immediately impact the team. Because, like we mentioned before, Kawhi's probably not going to play this next season. So that is 24, 25 points a night and stellar defense that you're going to be missing out on at your three position. Arguably, probably, like, the most versatile position in the game, right? You're a small forward. You need someone on the wing who can contribute. They got Paul George still. That's still their, their shining light, but they need someone with him too. And I don't think Paul George can do it on his own. I don't think he's really since his Pacers days have ever been able to do it on his own. And someone like Malcolm Brogdon, I think comes in and, and fills a void and someone who can be a two way player and someone who can be a 20 point per game scorer at that too. So you know, fill in every hole that they need in Malcolm Brogdon, someone like D. Rose, too. I mean, they're very, like, tricky because of their money situation and because of the fact that Reggie Jackson is a free agent and Sergi Baca has a player option, and we still don't know what's happening with Kawhi's player option, too. So there's a lot of things that we have to figure out in order to be really concrete on what we can say is the best move for this team right now. But given what we know, you got to make a move for a point guard. I think that I think that's what they have to do right now. And that's something we're going to touch on a little bit more when we get into free agents and trade acquisitions. But Jalen, this team's cap situation is not great. They're thirty-six million over the cap, and they have potentially about six million dollars to work with in the offseason, which is not a lot to get some someone big. They can maybe sign a couple of other players that won't command as much money. Same question to you, Jalen. What do you think the Clippers should do? Should they trade young players for veterans, stand pat and allow the young players to develop, target a big free agent, the superstar, or blow the team up? Um, I, I This might seem like a little, like, hasty, considering that their current situation is not the greatest in terms of players on the roster to move. But I do feel like there's a handful of players that have kind of played up their stocks, so I think. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say target big free agent slash superstar. I think that because of the fact that they have that, uh, the sign and trade option in their back pocket, that they have a couple of players that obviously are commodities that they can maybe lean on. Obviously, uh, the main ones that come to mind and it's a little bit more difficult from a contract standpoint. Um, I think the first one has to be the fact that 
Terrence Mann, dude. I, I, I like again. I, this some we'll probably get into a little bit later when we really talk about trade packages and get really in depth with it. But Terrence Mann is a guy who really played up his trade, uh, his trade value. Um, I even think that Marcus Morris is an interesting guy who could possibly be thrown into a lot of these mixes as well. Uh, Reggie Jackson and Nicholas Batum are two guys who are not going to be on their books, so they can't really use them to facilitate these. I guess it would have to be like a kind of a bit of a double sign and trade thing on both sides to really be able to facilitate that. So, um, Rashad, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the three trade assets that you guys have that are the most viable are probably Terrence Mann, Luke Kennard, and Marcus Morris. I've seen trade, trade packages that include Paul George, but I just don't see why they would go about doing that. Not only just because of like the long-term deal he just signed, but also what he just did productivity-wise on the floor in the playoffs. I just don't see that being the case. So with that being uh, the overall rundown for this team, I think that you have to kind of go big or go home because you do have to understand that the window for this is closed. And Kawhi Leonard has shown the disgruntled superstar treatment, I guess, quote-unquote, twice now. Um, he left a team that just won the championship with Toronto. I wouldn't say that's a disgruntled situation, but he did something that's extremely unprecedented when it comes to NBA champions. And then, of course, the uh, the entire debacle that took place with San Antonio. So you have to know that even if Kawhi Leonard signs a controlled deal for ex- for an extension, that that's not the end of the job. Like, you still have to create an environment around him in which he feels like he actually has a legit chance to win. So I think that this is a situation where they might need to go big or go home and maybe look at some of these guys who played really well for them and maybe sell high as opposed to trying to stand pat and see if they can become even better than what they've already produced. I think I think one of the better things that have happened to the Clippers this offseason, or not this offseason, this season in general, <clears throat> excuse me, was the fact that Terrence Mann, like you said, kind of stepped up, right? He dropped a big 39 bomb in a, in a playoff game against the Jazz. I mean, that you don't get much better than that. As a young player, as a team that's looking to make it to the next step, right? You got to the Western Conference Finals. You're trying to look, you're making that next step to the finals now. Terrence Mann is a good asset, like you just said, and we'll talk, we'll talk about bigger packages later. But, I mean, even Zubach, too. Like, Zubach is a, a solid center. He's only 24 years old, and he's got – Seven and a half million on his contract. That's a decent amount of money to throw into a, a trade package and potentially get something back. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing too, as I'm looking at some of the Clippers free agents, most of them are not commanding a lot of money. Patrick Patterson's only making about four million dollars. Nick Batum, Demarcus Cousins, and Reggie Jackson are all making one point six million. Amir Coffey's making one point four million. I do think that it's it's going to be interesting to see what they can do with the six million that they pos that they possibly have in terms of remaining cap space that they have to sign free agents. But I think the big thing for the Clippers and I think what could be interesting going going forward in the offseason is who is more valuable to your team in terms of mm-hmm. picking between these free agents because you have a guy like Reggie Jackson who had a pretty good season last year. He had maybe his best career season and he showed in the playoffs that he could be a valuable second option as well and somebody that is capable of running the point guard position. But then you also have a guy like Nick Batum who proved in the playoffs that he was a much better fit to the Los Angeles Clippers in terms of being a power forward and a small ball center. So I think those 
Those two guys, I think, are going to be names that the Clippers may have to decide on. I think that's going to be very interesting in terms of what happens this offseason. But let's talk about free agents because there are a lot of free agents that we could name that the Clippers could possibly sign in the offseason. I just want to throw out a few names real quick. Derek Rose, Patty Mills, TJ McConnell, Devontae Graham, who is a restricted free agent, and Ish Smith. So, Rashad, I will start with you. Out of these five players, rank them in terms of how the Clippers should target them. Who is more valuable to the Clippers out of those five players? Honestly, I think TJ McConnell is probably number one on this list. Right, TJ McConnell is someone who was getting defensive player of the year votes as a, a off the bench point guard, right? You talk about filling a gap with Kawhi or being hurt and potentially losing out on someone like Reggie Jackson or a couple of your you, you, people at your guard position. TJ McConnell would be a solid fit right there. Someone who can run the offense, someone who plays terrific defense and someone who can shoot the ball really well too, which fits right into their scheme. So TJ McConnell, number one, D Rose, number two, um, his resurgence, obviously, has just been incredible, and he's turning out to be a really, really good role player for any team that he joins. So he's number two, and then everyone else kind of falls in line. I guess Devontae Graham would be number three, and then Patty Mills, Ish Smith, kind of just four or five, however you want to place them. Jalen, same question to you in terms of ranking the five free agents that I named, but also, if you have any other free agents, who do you think the Clippers should sign? Okay. I mean, in terms of the top five for those, I think Rashad's right in the ballpark. I would actually probably put D-Rose first. I think the lack of shot creation at the point guard position has been killing them for like the last couple of years. I mean, the Lou Williams thing was fine, but defensively, the effort wasn't even there. And then when you look at Lou Williams as a facilitator, that's the other thing that hurt him. He pretty much was just a volume scorer, which is great for this team coming off the bench. But in terms of their starting guard, they had no backcourt threat offensively. So I think the fact that D. Rose still presents that that threat, at least for about what, maybe we could still pencil him in for about 15 points a night with about four assists here and there. I think that's something that could be really, really beneficial to a team that just needs to help create more spacing. They were one of the best three-point shooting teams last season, but in reality, they're still a mid-range killer. Like at the end of the day, that was their, their bread and butter, especially between Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Their percentage three point wise had them as one of the top teams in the, uh, in the NBA. But in reality, they weren't a team that when you look down the list was a crazy threat from, from three point range in terms of you worrying about what their, what their quote unquote main agenda offensively is. I don't think it was to create three point opportunities. So I would say that, that, that opens up the floor a little bit for them. I think TJ McConnell, I brought this up in the Boston Celtics one. I think he's going to be one of the most underrated free, free agent options. Um, this season, he was under two years back to back of, I think, like three to four million under contract with Indiana. So I think he's going to be a player that's going to like not command a lot of money and give you a lot of like return. Like he was one of the best steel, steel men in the league this past season in terms of uh, being active on the defensive side of the ball. He still was averaging like five, six assists on a team that, uh, I mean, had Malcolm Brogdon at point guard running most of the time. Granted, I think TJ got a lot of his burn next to Aaron Holiday. So um I think that actually will kind of help even further, knowing that he'll have a much more like well-rounded scoring team around him than Indiana. Indiana got a lot of hard buckets. Um 
L.A. does things the hard way, but I don't necessarily think scoring is one of those things Um, in terms of how they run their offense. They're not as traditional as most, but they still get the job done pretty conventionally. Um, And then I think after that, I feel like it has to be Patty Mills next because Devontae Graham is under pretty decent contract control. Like, he is a free agent, but it's, like, more of, like, a team option thing. So there's, like, a matching system that has to take place there, and, like, that gets kind of complicated in terms of getting in a bidding war with a player who's coming up on the back end of their, you know, their rookie contract. I don't know if anybody really wants to get into that kind of match for Deontay or Devontae Graham. Um so I guess uh, it would be Patty Mills, Devontae, and then and then Ish Smith. I think Ish Smith is like an interesting guard that'll be in this mix um, throughout free agency, especially because I think some of the top guards are going to go by relatively quickly. I think we're going to understand what they want to do relatively fast because nobody's going to want to be slow in a free agent market that doesn't have a lot of crazy names in it. Um, Rashard, I wanted to ask you this question going off of what, Ryan asked me about the whole, like, other people that the Clippers should target. One of the biggest things that was extremely interesting to me over the last two years with L.A. was, okay, so last year it was Montrezl Harold, who was extremely effective on the offensive end, but not very good on the defensive end. And it was one of those things that, quote, unquote, hurt you guys in the playoffs down the stretch. This year you got a lot of production from Vivica Zubac, but I do have my trepidations about the idea of leaning on a guy like that heavy in the post. And we basically barely saw DeMarcus Cousins for most of the postseason. And that had a lot to do with the fact that they felt like they needed to lean on Vegas Zubas so much. So, like, some of the free agents that are coming up at the center position that I think are actually attainable, obviously one of them would be just, you know, bringing Serge back on a relatively you know, controlled deal, especially with the fact that he's coming off an injury. I'm sure he'll be relatively open to it. But there's guys like Nerlis Noel, Dwight Howard, Bismack Biombo. I think the, the once you get to the Andre Drummonds and the Jared Allens and the Rashawn Holmes of the world, that's where things get kind of con like kind of complicated money wise. Is there anybody at center that you think you you would want to tackle, or is the guard position so much of a need? That if you had to pick between the two with like a mid-level exception or like a veteran minimum, it's guard all day because the center is just like one of those positions you feel like you can get away with murder. That's a good question. I, okay. I think, I think my stance on the Clippers is that point guard first, everything Mm. else later. Okay. That being said, they kind of got abused in the pick and roll. And Zubac was, like, he's still a solid player. That doesn't take away from his overall talent. But the fact that, you know, they have a couple of slow-footed centers in their in their rotation, they kind of got exposed for it, and they had to go ultra, ultra small ball to, to make up for that. Um, I don't is – there, is there a center in free agency that really covers that base? Someone who can be mobile, someone who plays terrific interior defense because they've got the perimeter – Perimeter defense is fine for the Clippers. It's just once they get past that first line of defense, who's there to protect the paint, right? Um, Nerlens Noel is an interesting choice. I think, I think if they were to dive away from the the point guard playmaking agenda, Nerlens Noel would probably be number one on that list. Someone who's young, someone who has shown that he can be a, a terrific interior defender. Like, I think Nerlens Noel doesn't get talked about enough. And, and surprising because people definitely did talk about Nerlens Noel this year. It's just like, 
someone that young who's who's willing to be like that prime of a interior defender, someone who is just willing to be like, all right, you don't need me to do anything else but play defense. That's cool. I I think he's probably the best option if they don't go for a point guard for whatever reason. But yeah. So I think what would be interesting in terms of the guard position, and you guys made a lot of good points with Derrick Rose and TJ McConnell. They both proved that they could start, and one of them being an MVP in Derrick Rose. They both proved that they could start, but they're both great at different things. Derrick Rose is great being a shot creator, and TJ McConnell is great at being a really sneaky defender. So I do think the Clippers could use both of them. I think Derrick Rose commands a lot more money than TJ McConnell, so maybe mm-hmm. TJ McConnell is the best option for them in terms of getting somebody who can be consistent on both sides of the floor. Patty Mills, I think it's interesting because I think the Clippers could use more bench scoring, but at the same time you have guys like Terrence Mann who are putting up 20 points a game coming off the bench. And then I do think, yeah, you need that guy who can give you those, those points. Patty Mills is an experienced veteran with playoff experience and championship experience, so maybe he can be that guy for you coming off the bench. And I think the least likely of of the five, I would say, would be Ish Smith and Devontae Graham. Devontae Graham simply because he's a restricted free agent, and I think he's going to resign with Charlotte. And I think the same thing with Ish Smith, because I think that the Wizards need guard depth, and I think losing a guy like Ish Smith would hurt them in terms of guard depth. And then you also mentioned guys like Narlins Noel and Rashawn Holmes as potential free agents for the Clippers. I do think you need somebody to back up Ivica Zubak and... It kind of depends on how much reliability you have on Serge Ibaka, considering that he was hurt last year. But he's a pretty good interior defender. So, mm-hmm. do you take the risk on him? Do you take the risk on him and his health, or do you just decide that it's going to be okay because of the fact that he's a very solid interior defender? That it really doesn't matter whether or not he gets hurt. That's a question that I actually want to pose to uh, Rashad because. Serge Baca was hurt, but he was a very solid player for you guys. Mm-hmm. But then you also have that option of getting Nerlens Noel. So if you go for Nerlens Noel, is it worth keeping Serge Ibaka? Yes. I think Nerlens Noel, I think, would, would play off of Serge Ibaka really well. So if you're, you would be looking at a potentially a starting lineup of Serge and Nerlens in the front court, and then you've got, say, they bring back Reggie Jackson. You got Reggie Jackson, PG in the back court, and whoever your three is, whoever you fill that void with, Marcus Morris probably be it. Um, those two playing together on the court, I think, would work really well, and it's only because of the fact that Serge has developed a decently reliable three point shot. Right, he shot thirty four percent from beyond the arc last year, which is. For his standards, which is, is pretty good, right? You need someone who can stretch the floor. Like I said, Jalen said it. Um, they don't necessarily work around creating three-point shots. That's not their offense. But it does not hurt the fact that, you know, Serge can shoot 34%, 35% on a night and have those nights where he is, like, on fire and also playing tremendous defense. And I think Nerlens and Noel would have such an – he would have such an isolated role on that team next to Serge Ibaka because now – you run a pick and roll with, with Nerlens Noel and you have the other three players all spread out on offense. So now you're running five out, you're running pick and rolls at the top of the key, and now you got an athletic center with them too. 
right? And I think that was part of the problem with Zubac. I think no Noel coming to the team basically means Zubac might be gone because he does have some value. He's young. He's got a decently sized contract. You could use him for something else. But, yeah, no, Nerlens Noel comes in, fits really well with Serge in the front court. And um, I don't think there's any need to get rid of Serge if you try to bring in Noel. That's a fair point. But I also kind of want to bring Jalen in on this conversation as well because another free agent that's been that's been linked to a bunch of different teams has been DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan is somebody that is very valuable at multiple different positions on the floor. Jalen likes to point out that he's point DeMar sometimes in terms of a 6'9 guy who runs point guard for the Spurs, but is also able to play the four. So somebody with that versatility could be very useful to the Clippers. But Jalen, before I transition to Rashad on this one, I want to get your take on the idea of Nerlens Noel and Serge Ibaka on the same team and also the possibility of DeMar DeRozan being a Los Angeles Clipper. So I think the big thing with the Serge Ibaka, Nerlens Noel thing, I thought it was so interesting that he mentioned the expendability of Vika Zubac. Remember when I mentioned earlier about the trade assets, I left him off and it felt like because of the center position need to be locked up the way um, the way it is. I felt Vika was a person who was relatively, I don't know if necessary is a word, but he's a guy who I felt like was a sure thing in terms of moving forward on this roster. But when you when you phrase it that way, you think about the idea of having a guy like Nerlens Noel, you have somebody a lot more, um, more athletic around the rim. That's somebody who gives you an actual presence inside. Um, it gives you that opportunity to still play big while stretching the floor, talking about putting Sergi Ibaka at the four, which is like more of his like more natural position now with him uh, stepping away from under the basket. He's become a lot more of a three point shooter than like a uh, like Sergi Blanco once upon a time back with uh with the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I think that's the other thing, too, because if you notice what they had to do throughout the playoffs, is that they had to go small in order to create that four-man-out offense stuff. That's why we ended up seeing, like, Nicholas Batum at, like, the three and the four so often, like, mainly the four in a lot of scenarios when they went smaller. But being able to keep – I think Serge was missed so much because of the fact that that would, that would have given them an opportunity to remain big in a lot of those matchups, especially against uh, Phoenix, where I think things would have been a little bit more – uh, effective in the minutes where like Aiden was off the floor and it was like you, you were dealing with like a situation that could have been um Surge versus Dario and I feel like logically speaking not just in name but in literal production I feel like blow for blow we would take Surge production wise so I think that that's one of those things that would be really interesting if you could get more athletic at the center position still keep Surge to stretch the floor and be able to have Vega Zubac become a trade asset to move to to move to potentially get better at those positions. He arguably has the best trade like trade value out of anybody on this team in terms of somebody who would actually be available. So to create an environment where you could openly make him available and it wouldn't be like a detriment to your team. That would actually be pretty interesting. Now, the DeMar DeRozan thing is extremely interesting because of what Ryan said about the whole point DeMar thing. He averaged literally, literally averaged nearly seven assists this past season on top of 21, uh, 21 points and four rebounds. Um, he's literally a typical prototypical or he's a prototypical two guard. 
uh, 6'6", 220. He played literally the two, three, four. You could argue he played the one, like with the fact that he was such a facilitator for yeah for San Antonio. You can argue that he played pretty much the one through four for that team. Um, and he became an even bigger asset when LaMarcus Aldridge wasn't on the floor and this team got extremely small playing guys like Keldon Johnson more minutes. Obviously guys like Lonnie Walker got more time. Um, DeJounte Murray when he got healthy. That's one of those things that made their team a lot smaller and forced DeMar to become a lot more of a, like, a lot more of a, uh, a post player, so to speak, in terms of his positioning. Like I said, he played more three, four than two for this team. So I feel like he would be interesting. This would be one of those situations where I think that the Avika Zubac availability would be actually low-key paramount like to being able to acquire a guy like DeMar DeRozan because a team like San Antonio that clearly does not need any more help in the guard department and needs a lot more productivity in that center position, especially with the fact that, you know, they let LaMarcus Aldridge walk. Um, Luka Samanich is a guy that they have playing overseas, playing relatively well, but he's extremely raw. Um, So their center position is like on the light side. So to be able to take a guard who you know is more than likely going to leave in free agency for a more controlled deal and maybe a little bit more of a, a better chance to win, if you can make that asset become a Vika Zubac at the center position around some of the, the guards that they have, it's something that San Antonio should be interested and should maybe be at least semi-interested in paying attention to. Obviously, their love for foreign players also is something else that people will bring up in trade scenarios like this one where Vika Zubac might be a very like friendly option to go for if you're San Antonio. So, Ryan, I think that's an interesting name to bring up for DeMar in terms of the fact that he has crazy versatility, which I think will make up for maybe losing Nicholas Batum, along with the fact that he gives you the shot creation and the facilitation that you need if you wanted to play him at the one. And... Worst case scenario is kind of drastic, but worst case scenario, you could get away with point DeMar for a season. And if you sign it, if, if, if the sign and trade is something that's not too extensive, he'll have a relatively decent contract that's tradable when Kawhi Leonard comes back. Or you could utilize him with a, with a Kawhi Leonard alongside PG as a three man lineup, see how it goes for up until the trade deadline or maybe even just that full season. And that'll be two years of DeMar or at least at least a year and a half of DeMar that you have under your belt, which also takes away from whatever his contract value would be a year or two from now. That also makes him easy to trade again if you need to pull that stop out. So I think that's an interesting name to use, Rashad. I I, I definitely kind of want your thoughts on this one because I think DeMar is an interesting name that has been thrown out just about everywhere. I've heard DeMar and Kyle Lowry to Dallas. I've heard DeMar, oh, man, the Lakers finally made, make their run at the Compton kid. Like, I've heard plenty of things, but it sounds like a trade with the Clippers might actually be mutually beneficial for both teams in a way where it gives DeMar a chance to win. It gives L.A. exactly what they need in a backcourt situation. Also also another player they can add to kind of pad things up for the year that Kawhi Leonard will be out. And then for San Antonio, they bulk up at a position that they kind of des- desperately need depth at. But what do you think about the trade in terms of it being offered? 
like you said, it works out for both teams. And you explained it really well in the fact that, you know, it fills a need that, that both teams would, would have coming into next season. Um, it's so interesting because let's say they do make that move. Let's say DeMar comes to the team and, um, it, you, what are your ex, what would the expectations be for that team, right? DeMar is someone who, like you said, he can average 20 and seven, right? He'll be your, your quote point guard, right? He'll be your, your quasi point guard on the squad and, and running the offense. But what does that raise your ceiling enough to be, you know, another Western Conference finals team, right? I think you've set the standard to where without Kawhi, you can go to six games in the Western Conference finals. That is now what you need to be striving for every single year. So every move that you make needs to push that needle further and further past that point. I, I love DeMar. I bought it like DeMar is one of my favorite players in the league. I absolutely love his transition into from what mid range, couldn't shoot a three to now being a reliable playmaker and someone who can run a team and run an offense. Um, they would have a lot of forwards and there's this been thought in my head. There's been a thought in my head for the past couple of weeks now. It's like, I think the league is just moving to where everyone on the floor is going to be six foot eight. Right, like between that six foot six to six foot nine range, that's like one to five. That's just going to be the entire league, and I think the Clippers are probably the the front runners of that whole agenda, because like we said, Nick Batum was playing five, Marcus Morris was playing a lot of five in the playoffs too. Paul George was up at the four at some point, right? So like, and then you bring in Demar to to be your your shooting small power forward, like. I just don't know how much that move would help the Clippers. The Spurs aren't in a win now situation. So whatever they get back for DeMar is just like, cool, we're, we're moving further and further into our rebuild. But with the Clippers, I just, I think it's, it's not a lateral move because DeMar is definitely better than Zubac, but I don't think it pushes the needle out for me, especially because we don't know what's happening with Kawhi. Uh, I mean, I think that makes sense, Ryan. I'll go ahead and let you kind of like further address that. But I think that the, I think that that's an interesting way to look at it is that like there comes a point where maybe LA could be getting too positionless and that could be mm-hmm. one of those things that could be taken away from just having an established identity moving forward for this team. So I think that's an interesting way to look at it. I would say the interesting thing with that trade would be who else or what else do you include with that? Because I know DeMar DeRose is not just worth of the, his his trade right. value, I would think, is pretty high. So I feel like you have to throw in another player or another pick. Now, if I'm the Clippers, who's a valuable trade asset outside of Avika Subak? Morris? I, I, his contract's decent enough because, you know, what what is, what's DeMar going to get in a sign-in trade, right? What is he going to get, like, what, 20, 23, 24, 25-ish? That sort of range. That's a lot of money you have to make up. And if Zubac is going to be the the main focal point in the in a potential trade, he's only making seven and a half million next year. So they would have to throw in someone. I think I have it up right now. Their contract situation. Um. But no, they like they they would have to throw in Marcus Morris at fifteen mil, and they'd probably have to try to throw in Luke Kennard and you know kind of swindle that team to take him. Um. But yeah, I can't remember which one of you mentioned it earlier, but their money situation is actually very, very weird. 
In terms of who the larger money is assigned to, because you got 14 million wrapped up in Patrick Beverly, you've got 12 million, 12 and a half million wrapped up in Luke Kennard, um, and seven and a half in Rondo. So it's like you got you got a lot of decently sized contracts attached to players who may not have that large of a trade value. So it it, it would be really, I think it'd be a little difficult for the Clippers if they weren't going to go for DeMar DeRozan, right? The fact that we're talking about DeMar makes it a little easier because the Spurs, like I said, they're not trying to win. They're just rebuilding. They've got a really good young core that they're just looking to add on to more and more. And I think the Clippers are probably the best option at trading for DeMar in terms of, you know, what they could give a rebuilding team in return for someone who's going to help us win right now. Um, yeah, it, it's really it's really weird. Fifteen million Marcus Morris, fourteen, twelve, twelve million for Luke Kennard is insane. <laughs> like that, that is like that number baffles me every single day when I look at this this chart. It's just like how do you even how do you move that right? Where does that go? So I think the thing that is kind of baffling me about that trade would be the fact that if the Clippers were to trade for DeMar DeRozan, I would think they would have to trade young players because I think that would be the the agenda for the Spurs would be to get young players and develop them and further this rebuild because mm. we, we know it's happening. We know there's going to be a Spurs rebuild. So I think you would just get essentially younger by mm-hmm. trading a Vika Zubak, who I, I think one of you said he was 24 years old, you could maybe throw Luke Kennard in there. I think Terrence Mann is going to be a huge, huge trade asset, especially this with coming off of the, the playoff series that he had and then the season that he had as well. I think the X factor in this trade, though, I think the X factor for the Spurs could be Jakob Pertl. I think he's gradually improving, but is he a trade asset? Because I do think the Clippers need someone who can back up Ivica Zubak if he stays there. But they do need center depth regardless, considering they're losing Patrick Patterson, who's going to be a free agent. Nick Batum is also going to be a free agent. So who do you sign if not both of them or if none of them? Then how do you sort of replace that depth? And I think that's the big thing with this trade is that if you get DeMar, you have to get young players to kind of sweeten the deal or exchange young players to sweeten the deal. I don't know if Luke Kennard is going to be that guy because Luke Kennard has not proven a lot to the Los Angeles Clippers. And I think that's the big thing because he has a $12 million contract. Jalen, I, I know you're about to say something as well. No, I think I think just because of, like, I think what you're saying might make sense. But, again, we have to always view this from the, like, what's fair and what makes the money add up are two totally different things. Yeah. Uh, Luke Kennard's production might make it where him being thrown in a trade for DeMar DeRozan might seem unfair. But 12 mil plus 7 mil puts you in the $20 million range, and you probably have to throw in a draft pick. I'd be reluctant to have to throw Terrence Mann in there as well. I think that would be the thing that's scary. But if you can get the money to put themselves in the ballpark of 21 to 22 million, that puts you in an area where if you have to do a sign and trade for DeMar DeRozan, 
that's your most controlled asset to do so. I think, hilariously enough, I think everybody sleeps on the fact that Marcus Morris Sr. was supposed to be a San Antonio Spurs, skipped on them for the New York Knicks, and it turned into a thing that ended up having him now on the Clippers. So I don't think that's a guy they would necessarily want to try to retrade for, especially in their kind of like – um like you said, youth movement in terms of them doing this little mini rebuild, despite the fact that Pop is still the coach. Marcus Morris is 32. Luke Kennard is 25. Granted, the shooting guard position, once again, one of those difficult things where you put more guys in that backcourt. But if you can send a guy like Luke over along with the Vicar Zubach, I think it's obviously one of those things where they're doing the deal more for Zubach than for Luke. And I think that that's one of those things that also will make them have to make a decision on some of these guys like more so like in the Lonnie Walker range where like Lonnie Walker and Kelvin Johnson where their money is on the low end uh just deciding on what they want to do with them moving forward more so Lonnie I would say obviously we know that Patty Mills is going to be potentially on his way out that's another guy in that backcourt that'll kind of free things up so I don't think the idea of throwing Luke Kennard in a trade like that is as crazy as it sounds because again for a youth movement team that has decisions to make on a Lonnie Walker more than likely is going to let a guy like Patty Mills walk. That backcourt is going to slightly thin out with that kind of stuff taking place. So a guy like Luke Kennard on a controlled contract at the guard position, a guy like Avika Zubach next to in front of Yaka Pertl in terms of their front court depth. I think those are all things that will be beneficial for them. So, Again, I think it's an interesting trade where both teams can potentially win out. And although it might not have the crazy name you're looking for, granted, I guess maybe DeMar DeRozan would be that guy. There's no like blockbuster, blockbuster trade level titling to this kind of exchange. But I think it's one of those things that does precisely adjust, uh, address both teams' agenda in a way that it kind of becomes a, a fair trade, which we don't see that much in the NBA. Another thing that I was thinking of when we were talking about the trade package was that I think there's a chance that you throw in the 25th overall pick because I don't know if the Clippers are going to necessarily keep that pick. And I also feel like the Spurs are a team that, as they're continuing the rebuild, could use that 25th pick in what is a very deep draft this year. I think that this is a draft where you can find a diamond in the rough in the late first round. So I think that could be a very interesting thing for the San Antonio Spurs if they if they make this trade happen with DeMar DeRozan. But I think it's about just getting younger considering that Rashad said this is not a win-now situation for the San Antonio Spurs. But since we're talking about trade packages, let's continue on with this topic. And I'll go back to Rashad on this one. Do you have a trade package that you believe is realistic and could improve your team? Yeah. So, like, when when you sent me the questions, and I was I was writing all my notes and stuff. It was like, yeah, this, you know, Zubach and Canard that makes up about nineteen twenty million dollars, and plus maybe a smaller contract that makes a lot of sense, right? And then I started thinking about Luke Canard's value, right? Like we just mentioned, and um you know, what team they would essentially be going to. But I don't know. I'm looking back on this trade right now that I drew up. It was like Zubach, Kennard, and some cap filler, maybe some cash or, you know, just some player that they want to get rid of. 
for Malcolm Brogdon going to the Pacers. And now, like I mentioned earlier, that Malcolm Brogdon is one of my favorites for, for who I think the Clippers should target if he is to become publicly available from the Pacers. Um, that being said, though, would the Pacers really need Zubac? Like, based on what they're trying to do, right? You've got Sabonis, you've got Miles Turner. Zubac would have to come in and be that backup, right? Do you, do you, do you want that? Do you want more slow big men on your team? Uh, and then you take on Kennard, who's just like a, just a player in the NBA right now who could maybe drop 10 points, maybe sometimes. I don't, like I said, it's hard because their big money is attached to the wrong players. And the fact that Terrence Mann is only, first of all, his contract's not even guaranteed next year. If it was fully guaranteed, it'd be 1.8. So that's not a lot of money to work for. And I think when I was making all this, uh, when I was writing all these notes, I think that seemed like the most, um, most sensible trade for the Clippers in terms of filling a void that they would need and, you know, getting someone that, that could actually come and perform right now. But I don't know. It's really hard. I think that's my one trade offer. So Zubach, Kennard, and maybe, like, I don't even know who you would throw into this anymore because they don't have that many people under contract. Maybe Rondo, I guess? I don't even know. Like, that's a lot of money they have to make up. And it's like their value arguably their most valuable asset in Terrence Mann and Zubac are both making under $10 million. So it's just like, yeah, you know, what do you do? But yeah, that Brogdon trade, I think is my favorite and probably the one I think would hopefully happen. So what about you, Jalen? Do you have a potential trade that could be realistic and help improve the Los Angeles Clippers? Um, I think the, the big ones that obviously come in mind are like, like Rashad mentioned beforehand, the ones that target guards via trade. I think the Malcolm Brogdon one is like extremely interesting because that's one of those that is kind of like open ended in terms of creating a guy who like can give you veteran presence, 15, 20 points per game, still being a high rebound and assist ratio rate where he's floating around four to five of each of those. Um, Rashad, I want to throw out a name, though, that I think is interesting. I just want to get your take on it because it was presented in the article I swung over to uh, to Ryan. We talked about two of those names being Malcolm Brogdon and DeMar DeRozan, but the one that we haven't discussed yet is Colin Sexton. Um, He's a guy who is on the trade block for Cleveland, a guy who it seems like they genuinely do not want to give a max extension to. They They badly, badly want to try to avoid doing so by all means. Um, I think that there are a couple of things worth taking a look at in terms of Colin. I mean, 22 years old is something to build off of. Average 24.3 points per game on 48% shooting. Um, last season, I think he shot relatively well, uh, for most of the year, despite the fact that he's not really known to be a three point shooter, but he's a guy who can really create for himself. One of the biggest things I think would be, a bit of a, a detriment is that he's not much of a facilitator. And that's something that kind of hurts this team and turns them more into like an ISO basketball team, which I think is maybe the biggest thing that hinders a trade that might facilitate a sign and trade for Colin Sexton. But first off, how do you feel about Colin Sexton as a player, right? In terms of not just, I mean, not, not his, with his situation withstanding, just his, Overall productivity on the floor, how do you feel about Colin Sexton as a player considering he's going to be one of those bigger names at the point guard spot in free agency that we could be talking about? And then number two, how do you feel about him within 
your team if your team were to make an exchange for him? Um, as far as Colin Sexton as a player, I think he is. I think he's on his way to becoming an elite level scorer already in his third season, averaging 24 points on what was it, 40, what, 47 and a half percent from the field, right? That's, mm. that's really good for someone still on their rookie contract and someone who's, you know, obviously you take it with a grain of salt because he's playing in Cleveland and who really else is going to take those shots. But I mean, he's a high volume scorer and I think he's someone he works really well on the ball and he has some viability off the ball too. We saw it a little bit with Darius, uh, Darius Garland playing point guard, being that facilitator for Colin Sexton. That's kind of where he shines the most. I think, um, but yeah, as a player, yeah, I like him. In terms of his fit into the Clippers role or into the Clippers scheme, I think he's just a better version of Reggie Jackson. And, mm. and kind of, like I meant, I like, I've been using this phrase, it's a lateral move. This necessarily isn't a lateral move. It's just an upgrade of a player you already had that basically say he plays the same as Reggie Jackson. Mm. They're both ISO scorers. They both take their shots when they need to. They're both aggressive on the offensive end. Um, but at the same time, don't give you really too much else on defense, right? They don't give you too much else mm. in anything, really. They kind of just right. score the ball, and that that's it. So do the Clippers need someone who can – or who do they want someone to just come in and score, right? Mm. Is, that, is that someone that they want to target this offseason, or are they looking for someone more all-around, more, you know, talented in other areas of the game? Um, I don't – obviously, Reggie Jackson worked in L.A. with the Clippers. He was – I think I saw this stat. He was, like, the best isolation scorer in the league. I, I can't remember if it was in the playoffs or the regular season. But he was the best isolation player in terms of field goal percentage in the entire league. So, you know, that that's something you got to take care of, too. And it's like, if you do try to get Colin Sexton, you're getting rid of Reggie Jackson. Both of those players cannot be together on the same team. I think that is just a detriment to your team. You're losing way too much overall productivity and, and talent in other areas of the game that you can potentially have covered already. But, yeah, I don't necessarily like the fit on the Clippers. I do like the idea of them getting, like, a bigger guard. Like, Colin Sexton's 6'1". <laughs> like, he's very, very small. But, I mean, he plays bigger than what he is. He's a bulldog, right? He's, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a strong player, but... I think they need a bigger overall guard if they're going to go that route. And Colin Sexton just doesn't do that for them. I just think that's an interesting note just because the reason why I brought it up, not only because the Sports Now article brings it up, but Sports Illustrated's most recent mock draft. Actually, I mentioned this prior to the podcast when I was talking to Ryan about them using the 25th overall pick. I mentioned Sharif Cooper from Auburn. I did not look at this article before I said that, but ironically enough, that's who they have mocked to the Clippers at 25. Um, he's a guy who pretty much everything that Colin Sexton isn't, Sharif Cooper is, but it's still within the same framework of 6-1. Um, Sharif Cooper is not a physical downhill player, but he's a guy, he's a guy who's more on the shifty, creative, uh, side. He's not, He's a guy who's a high-volume player in terms of his high-volume usage at Auburn, as well as, like, being a high-volume scorer. 
but he's a guy who plays better as a facilitator. He's a guy who plays really well in the open court as a facilitator as opposed to Colin. I think it's better as an ISO scorer slash guy who plays well downhill in the open court. So I just thought that was really interesting because I think whether you look at it from the from contrasting or from a similarity standpoint, the one thing that comes that it call comes down to is six one guard. And then yeah. the question is for the Clippers, do they really need that at the point guard position, whether they still have Patrick Beverly on the roster or not, first of all, because that's already a shorter guard on that end playing, you know, just the bulldog defense, but doesn't give you very much offensively. But then on top of that, from an offensive standpoint, needing a shot creator of all players, I think this is tricky because of what we just saw from Trey Young, but neither one of these players are him. So I think that's where you kind of have to, like, move away from what your assumption of, like, 6'2 and shorter point guards are. But are these guys strong enough shot creators to be 6'1 and fit next to what is considerably a long-rangey team? that the Clippers are. And so that I just thought that was interesting because Colin does fall into that, that category where I think he's going to be a guy in this off season where the team that's going after him is doing it with the intention of utilizing whatever his strength is to its maximum potential. It's not one of those things where you're signing him because of BPA. I don't think, I don't think you're looking at Colin <laughs> Sexton in this point guard class and saying best player available because I mean, guys, we did a we did a top five runoff like before the podcast started of just that position by itself, and basically forgot Calvin Sexton was even in the mix. Either because we think that Cleveland is more so going to have to sign and trade him as opposed to like you know letting him walk, or just the mere fact that maybe we just didn't envision him as a top five point guard in this class. But he's a guy who I think a team like the Knicks might end up throwing a lot of money at because they need a high-volume score at the point guard position because they lacked shot creation, and we saw that hurt them in the playoff series against Atlanta. That's a team that might need that. The Clippers? More ISO scoring? I don't know. I think think that's a tough angle. But I just wanted to get your take on it because I thought it was interesting how him and Sharif – contrast each other so much in one you're leaning on the idea of having to give up trade assets for while the other one is you taking a swing at 25 in a deep draft that you could easily just get another rangy forward and see if you can move somebody to point guard you know what i mean so yeah that's that's pretty much what i was asking about that one so i think the interesting thing with the colin sexton one is what does it mean for Terrence Mann? Because I feel like you would have to trade Terrence Mann along with another player mm-hmm. in a trade for Colin Sexton, considering that I think that when you talk about two of the best young guards in the league, Colin Sexton's name immediately comes up. But then you hear Terrence Mann because of what he did in the playoffs and the season that he had this year with the Los Angeles Clippers. And keep in mind, I think this is Terrence Mann's second year. So I think it could be a win-win for the Cavaliers if they get a guy like Terrence Mann in exchange for Colin Sexton, considering that you unload Sexton, who you know you are going to have to pay because he's deserving of a max contract, and get a guy like Terrence Mann, who is still a productive guard, who can play the two. 
So or the three where they desperately need right. to put Jetty Osmond on the on on the bench as quickly as humanly possible. <laughs> and that's something that we're going to be talking to. Uh, we're going to talk to Peter Burnett about with the Cavaliers tomorrow because I think it's a win-win for the Cavaliers considering you're getting a young guard who is productive, but I think it will be now about continuity with Darius Garland, who is another impressive young guard in the NBA. So I think that's going to be very interesting. But I think one more name that I want to throw out that's even more interesting is Kemba Walker. Because Mm -hmm. I think when we talk about Kemba Walker, I don't know about you guys, but unless they're going to try the Chris Paul experiment again, I don't think he's going to last in Oklahoma City. Now, the trade that you sent to me, Jalen, was Mm -hmm. when Kemba was still on the Boston Celtics. It was the Clippers receiving Kemba Walker in exchange for Patrick Beverly, Marcus Morris, Evika Zubak, Terrence Mann, and two future second-round picks. I think you eliminate Marcus Morris from this trade. I think it would still be an even trade without Marcus Morris. But I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. First, I'll start with Rashad. Okay. Well, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right about the fact you can take Marcus Morris off that list right now because Kemba Walker has depleted his value considerably this past season. Um, that being said, it is still a very, very large contract that they would have to take on and, and money that they would have to match. So the 15 plus the 14 with Morris and Pat Bev is, is kind of looking like the only way they can really do that because I don't think the Thunder are going to take on Luke Kennard. Even the Thunder of all teams, the, the one I think would take on someone like him, probably won't, right? And that's why he wasn't included in that. Terrence Mann works for the th- – damn, that is such – that's such an interesting trade. Because it's like you almost have to give up more than what Kemba's worth just to make the money match and get him. Right, so is Kemba now in this state worth Marcus Morris, worth Patrick Beverly, worth Terrence Mann? Rashad, hold on. Right there, right there, with that, like that part you said, you said right now. Do they have to do this because it's Kemba, right? So he just got traded, so you can't do a double bounce around. But because he wouldn't even be able to do it right now. So for Kemba, it would more likely be the trade deadline. You don't think at the – let me let me not try to influence your response because I, I have mixed emotions about it as well. <laughs> but at the at the trade deadline, right, right. You, do you think at the trade deadline that that is an un, as uneven of a trade as it sounds? Because you're saying that you feel like you have to give up more than what Kemba Walker is worth. I think that, yes, from an injury standpoint, especially with the knees – that's one of the biggest things that maybe gives me cause to pause in terms of him being more than it's worth because you don't know about his – because his injury history gives you cause to pause. But in terms of his production on the floor, if there's any team that's going to be able to help build up his uh, his draft equity, we saw this kind of with uh, Chris Paul recently. If there's any team that would be able to build up his draft equity, it would probably be Oklahoma City where they're going to be able to just let him rock out. And that's 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 a fair point, and that is, you know, the Thunder are so good at player development. It's it's mm-hmm. insane, even old players too. But at the trade deadline, what what am I expecting Kemba Walker to be? Someone who can put up twenty, maybe maybe because he's going to have to share the ball with Shea a lot, and you know, do they want Shea come being the off ball 
player now? Do they want to take the ball out of his hands? Do they want, you know, they want, do they want to rehab Kemba's value and worth? Absolutely. That, that's definitely what they're going to do. But at the trade deadline, I don't, I don't see a huge bounce back from Kemba Walker. I think, I think when you talk about Chris Paul and bring that up, I, I think it's, it's such a different scenario because that is a Hall of Fame point guard we're talking about and someone who, okay. for, you know, no matter what, is going to put up the numbers, is going to lead your team to somewhere, right? He took them to, what, what I think, I can't remember, was it the fifth seed last year mm-hmm. in the bubble? Yeah. That Thunder team got the fifth seed. So, and that was, that was primarily on Chris Paul. So I think that's two different tiers of, development when it comes to older uh injury prone players and I just I'm not confident in the fact that Kemba can really bounce back like Chris Paul did I'm just not too high especially after what I saw this season and honestly these past two seasons from Kemba Walker I have not really been impressed with his style of play and you know it might have been the fit with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown but I I just didn't he didn't really gel well with them and Mm -hmm. if he comes to the Clippers he'd be playing with Paul George too, right? So he wouldn't necessarily have the ball in his hands at all times, right? You have someone like Marcus Morris who's becoming a third option, a solid third option at that. I mean, it's just – it all boils down to the fact that I don't think Kemba has it in him anymore to be what he once was, even like part of what he once was. So – Interesting. I think that's an interesting point to make because of the viewpoint on Kemba Walker at 31. We have this very skewed viewpoint across the league about a handful of different guards on this ilk of their career. Kemba Walker and Russell Westbrook fall into this category of can you continue to win with them? James Harden, uh, Chris Paul, these are guys that you say if you put them into a certain scenario, they are the cherry on top of your team to potentially turning them into a championship contender. So I think that's one of those interesting scenarios where you say that there's, that basically there's levels to this and Kemba Walker falls into one of those that you're not necessarily sure if he moves the needle. I think the other thing that's just the reality is maybe this was cute when you're trading with Boston, but when you're trading with the Thunder, you're just like too sketched out by the fact of them having that many <laughs> controlled contracts, right? You got Terrence Mill, Terrence Mann on like under two mil. You got Lugans Dort on under two mil right now. You would have Shea Gilders Alexander finally walking into like his, you know, his rookie extension, which he's gonna get. Let's be real. Oh, absolutely. And then you throw on top of that, they might get the, the, the sixth best player in the draft with the sixth overall pick in this round. I mean, this year, they have five, I think I have like five or six picks just this, just this draft alone. And they're going to either get a Jonathan Kaminga at six or a Scotty Barnes at six on their team. That's also going to be a controlled, um, asset the 16th overall pick and the 18th overall pick, which are like late first rounders that are going to be huge in terms of their production as well. Like there is a certain trick to knowing that just like the thunder with their developmental staff, along with having so many like, like discount level (laughs) above average contracts with guys, like I said, like Lucas Dorton, Terrence Mann, who are like playing above what their pay rate is essentially. It just sounds unbelievable to like give them even more a- assets in terms of like sending like a man or a-, a-, a Zubach over there. So I think that's another interesting element to it is too is just like 
The Thunder, more picks, <laughs> more guys <laughs> on control contracts. More picks, <laughs> Get away more with murder talent. by moving Kimbo. <laughs> Tolerate it. Sounds good. Like so, I, I understand, but I think I think you're I think what you said about Kimba in terms of being on the back nine, I think that'll be a very interesting thing uh, for people to kind of cope with this season in terms of just their viewpoint on him because he was discount Kyrie Irving a year ago. And now the question is to people, do they even believe that he's an inkling of that? And uh, according to you, that's no. I think to other people, I think that's where the debate kind of kicks in. So that'll be interesting. I think what will end up happening with Kemba in terms of Oklahoma City is that they will most likely move him because I don't think that – here's the thing. I feel like it's too early to give the keys away from Shea. Like, this is this is his first year running the offense, and he's 23 years old right now. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's way too early to give that good of a player or to get rid of the keys from a guy like Shea Gillis-Alexander, who you know can be consistent and lead an offense. Let's keep in mind, though, the Thunder are still a developing team. Mm-hmm. So this is a team that has a lot of young talent and a lot of future picks. This team could be one of the best teams three, four years down the line. But this is not a team that needs Kemba Walker. And Kemba Walker is a guy that wants to be on a championship team. And then looking at just looking more into the trade, I mean, you get Terrence Mann, who's really good right now. And you, you, this is a guy who, like you mentioned, playing above his pay rate. And then when he eventually gets paid, he's going to be he, he's he may or may not get a max extension. Who knows if he continues to play like this? Here's the thing with Patrick Beverly: he's making what 14 million right now. Mm-hmm. The Thunder could honestly buy out his contract if this trade happens, and I think that a team could possibly, I think any team could possibly use him because he's a pesky defender. And he's an antagonist. He likes getting on the opponent's nerves. We see that a lot with CP3, Russell Westbrook, LeBron James. Like, this is the guy that teams turn to. Hey, if you want to frustrate this guy, turn to Patrick Beverly. He's that guy. He can be that guy for a championship team. So, I mean, if he goes to Oklahoma City, great, but he's not going to be making the playoffs anytime soon. So I think it, I think it would make sense for Oklahoma City, in that case, to buy out his contract. And then Avika Zubak, I think he's just going to be joining a very crowded front court. I think he might be fighting for playing time. He may end up starting. But I think that it'll just come down to whether or not he's going to be, uh, whether or not this trade actually happens, whether or not Zubac gets moved. Because I think that he has a lot of potential. But I think when you have a young center that is thriving in the system that Los Angeles currently has, I think it's going to be very hard to move a guy like a Vika Zubak. But before we move on to our last set of questions, I just want to get your thoughts. Um, Rashad, I'll start with you in terms of, of a retort. The the buyout proposition that you thought that you you brought up is really interesting, and in the fact that you know if the, if that trade that hypothetical trade were to happen, that <clears throat> I don't think Pat Bev would want to stay in OKC. You're absolutely right about that fact. On the Clipper side, even it's like. Again, like I said, what are you really giving up and what are you getting in return for everything that you have to throw the thunder away, right? Um, 
does that does it move the needle for, for the Thunder really aren't caring they don't care about moving the needle right now they're already headed in the right direction they've already got a playoff appearance with the with Shea as their their guy so to speak I mean he had Chris Paul but you know Shea was handling a lot of the scoring load on that team so they already got a playoff appearance under their belt he's going to get them they're going to have a really good young core like Ryan said for like three four five years down the line Right. And I, I actually just looked up their salary cap situation. Um, well, I guess this doesn't have Kemba Walker on it. But next year, without Kemba Walker, $26 million is going to player payroll. That's it. $26 million <laughs> for the Thunder. That's their entire roster. It's just like, they they do have a lot of they have a lot of players who are playing up and you know trying to increase their potential because I think the Thunder have taken on that that role of like all right you come here rookie veteran whatever you're gonna get your your value up and then you're gonna go somewhere else right mm-hmm. um same deal with Kemba Kemba's gonna try so I don't have faith that he's gonna do it but he's definitely gonna try to come in and and rehab his own value and. There's just a lot of moving parts and interesting parts with the Thunder, especially in relation to a trade with the with the Clippers. They beef up a lot with that mm. central trade. They get a Zubosh that they could they could really use. Lucky for the Thunder, they have a Pokusevsky that can kind of play the three at seven foot, which is kind of <laughs> interesting. But you know, he can play the three, four, five, whatever, and he can handle the ball too. So you know, you can have a big lineup that is decently mobile and whatever. I won't turn this into a Clipper or a Thunder episode, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just think it's such a muddy situation for the Clippers in terms of do they make that trade for Kemba? What did the Thunder do with the assets they get in return? And, you know, you know, it's just a very confusing situation for both squads. I think at the end of the day. I mean, retort-wise, I think I want to just throw it back to Rashad in terms of answering this question to kind of help us segue into, like, our last topic about, like, outlandish trades is based on everything that we've talked about in terms of realistically, like, what are the top three moves on your board if you're in Clippers management right now, whether it's whether it's a trade or a free agent target? Like, what are the top three potential scenarios that you're looking into if you're in Clippers GM mode where you're saying realistically we could go after this player via sign and trade or we can go after this player in terms of picking them up with the mid-level exception that's like worth 5.6 mil or something like that or just in terms of a player that you want to retain like what are like the top three things that you're like if I'm the Clippers I need these to be the things that you focus on Okay, I I think priority one would probably be keeping Terrence Mann because he is, as an asset, very, very valuable, right? He showed what he can do in in his upside in terms of what he can be as a 2-3 wing player. But at the same time, he did show you a lot. And is that someone you want to keep around on your team? Because when you look at the, the Clippers roster, it's like, I think it was four out of their five starters in the latter half of the season were over 30, right? So they're in in this weird spot where they're kind of on their way toward rebuild state because everyone's going to start getting older. People are naturally going to decline in terms of their talent. And you trade away Terrence Mann, you trade away Zubach together in the same season, you're left with 
your youngest player probably being like your draft pick plus a 26, 27 year old, right? <laughs> right. So you, really, right. you don't really have a future there. And I, I think as a GM, what I would do is probably I would I would lean into the win now. I think as as weird as it would be, because there's really like there are teams that have tried to rebuild while also winning. Okay. So you you have the Warriors who obviously they had injuries and stuff, but you know they were trying to develop James Wiseman. They kept the two pick. They didn't trade him during the season, but they were also trying to get to the playoffs with Steph Curry. Right. Hmm. Neither really happened. James Wiseman didn't take as big of a leap in his first year as many people thought he was in terms of being the most NBA ready player in that draft, hmm. uh, which turned out to be Lamelo Ball. Go figure. Um, right. But and they didn't make the playoffs too. So it's it's just like, what do you address first? You address keeping Terrence Mann. That's number mm. one. Because he helps you win. And he keeps you young. Somewhere. Mm. Two, I think I think in terms of number two, you got to start dumping off some of these larger contracts. You got to get a little bit more flexibility in terms of what you can do every offseason, who you can trade for. Um, we mentioned that their their cap situation is kind of ugly, but the bigger contracts are there. And who are the who are the who are two guys from who are two guys from those larger contracts contracts that you're like we got to get rid of somehow through this offseason? Luke Kennard, like he's he's got to leave the team. Like he, Just him? he cannot be Luke. I, I think Pat Bev and Marcus Morris bring they fill their roles on this team pretty well. Right, okay. like Pat Bev does not need to be a scorer on this squad. They have enough of it. Marcus Morris is one of those scorers, and he's been a really good isolation scorer this season and a really good knockdown three point shooter. So I think Luke Kennard and probably Rondo would be the contracts I would probably have to get rid of because those are just players that just don't service my team anymore and okay. service what we need to be next season and the season after that. And the third one, I don't even, honestly, two and three would just be dumping. Kennard and Rondo, I think, at the end of the day. It's just like, they need more flexibility. They're like a million dollars, not a million, they're like a hundred billion dollars over the luxury tax right now. So they need to get some of that flexibility back. They have the the mid-level exception they can use on someone like D-Rose. Uh, I don't think T.J. McConnell's going to get the MLE, but, you know, a smaller contract like T.J. McConnell, too, you know, those are the kind of areas they have to play with now because they have so many decently sized contracts. And, um, yeah, I guess th- I guess three would be using the MLE on someone like D-Rose. I think that's interesting for when we get to these outlandish superstar trades because the Clippers are in an interesting situation with Kawhi Leonard where if he leaves, that frees up a lot of money. But you could also try to target somebody like Damian Lillard or Kawhi- uh, Kyle Lowry, who is a positional need but an interesting fit on your team. So this time I want to start with Jalen on this one. If not Kawhi, then who are the Clippers target? If not Kawhi, I think we got to go back to one of the ones that we mentioned earlier, bro. I think the DeMar DeRozan one is a little slept on. I think that from a, like, I mean, it's, it's weird to say outlandish because he's not one of those superstars where you're like, Lord, but they really debate on trading him. But I do genuinely feel like DeMar DeRozan is the kind of asset specifically in this scenario 
where, especially with the offseason being the way it is, where a lot of the teams, Ryan, we talked about this going into this, into this series, that there's a lot of teams that don't have a lot of cap flexibility. You're going to have to do a lot of sign and trade scenarios to get these guys on the teams that they want to be on to really be able to produce at a championship level. So I think that DeMar DeRozan, especially for a team like this, where you're going to have to maybe sign and trade to even remotely come close, I think that he would be an interesting one in terms of making the move for the team that I will say that I think or the player that I will say that I think would be interesting outside of DeMar since we already talked about him so much. Rashad, I'll pretty much throw this to you in terms of the outlandish superstar you would want to trade for is my offering would be Kyle Lowry. I think that's out. I think that's outlandish because of the fact that I do wonder exactly what's up with Toronto in general like Masai Ujiri are you even the GM right now like I'm pretty sure his contract like expired during the playoffs and like no one really got to speak on it because we were worried about the playoffs um Kyle Lowry has not really been discussed very much in terms of whether or not he's going to be retained or not. And of course, the draft comes before free agency. So I think what happens at the draft, if Masai is even the one to do the drafting, <laughs> whatever takes place at the draft will indicate to us maybe what the future of Lowry is. Because I think if they get Jalen Suggs, that tells us that I think that they're addressing the point guard position with the anticipation of Kyle Lowry leaving. I've also heard things that say that if they get Jalen Suggs, it would be an interesting pairing with him up next to a guy like Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Vliet in terms of like coming off the bench. So I don't know exactly how much of a like how much that addresses things, but I think that in a side and trade scenario where a guy like Kyle Lowry, who I definitely believe that Toronto would do like respectfully, like, you know what I mean? In terms of either letting him walk to go where he wants to go or sign and trading him to a place he actually wants to be at. I think if he wanted to be able to be in a position to win a championship, play next to Kawhi, who, you know, obviously gave him his, his first chance to win a championship and was successful in doing so, along with the fact that it's a very structured environment where he can pretty much be like, that shot creating point guard bulldog on defense still and facilitates at a rel- relatively high clip. If you can trade for Kyle Lowry, knowing that Toronto is in what might be a, a smidge of a rebuild mode, I think that they would be willing to take on a kind of dusty contract like Marcus Morris that could potentially turn into something that'll just fall off their books in another year and a, a year or two along with a guy like Terrence Mann and knowing that they'll have their six overall draft. I mean, I think they, they, I think they have the number four overall draft pick in this, uh, in this draft class, knowing that they'll have him or whoever they get at four, Terrence Mann, OG, Pascal and Fred, like they'll have this kind of core set up that they can work with moving forward. And it'll flesh out their starting five very evenly in a way where like, I don't want to say it's win-win because you lose out on, like, basically, like, a Raptors legend in the process of also making the Clippers, like, significantly better at a position that they have struggled with for, like, not even just this season, but, like, arguably the last three. But I think it addresses you guys' need in such a way that if it if – if, I know that your number one priority was, like, don't let Ter- Terrence Mann go, but I think in this scenario – 
it might actually be the most worth it. So what's your response to Kyle Lowry as a trade? If you have a better, different, or I guess you could say worse in terms of more outlandish, least likely to happen kind of trade you would like to see happen, what would it be? Uh, okay, so I wrote, like, Damian Lillard. Obviously, that kind of just covers the base of, oh, hey, we need a point guard. Damian right. It's like, but that's oh, like, man. duh. Obviously, the Clippers are going to want Damian Lillard, and they would probably do anything that they could in order to get him. But I'm actually uh, I'm interested to talk about the Kyle Lowry trade. I think it, you bring up a good point that the Raptors aren't necessarily re- – building at the moment because they do have a really good core already that has already been to the playoffs has already proven themselves to be really really solid nba players and pascal is an all-star fred man lead is you know a, a really good shooting guard point guard sort of deal and, and og is a great two-way player yeah but for the clippers though i think kyle lowry really really would be i think one of the more realistic ones i think in terms of you know, Kyle Lowry wants to go win again, probably. He doesn't want to spend the rest of his career on a team that's not going to be anywhere near the finals. Um, so if he doesn't end up with the Lakers somehow uh, <laughs> and he ends up with the Clippers instead, I think I think that's, that's a move that I would not call lateral. Like, for the most part, in terms of the trades that, that, that we've been bringing up, I've been thinking about the fact that does it make the Clippers actually better, right? Does, does it move them toward that? confident Western Conference Finals team. I think Kyle Lowry, being a veteran, having championship experience, and being a a game manager. He's an on-court manager. He, he's really good at running the one, obviously. He's someone who knows how to play um, who knows how to play point guard and knows how to play make for other stars, too. He did it with Kawhi. He's been doing it with Pascal. He's been playing alongside Freddie, too. So he can make it work, and I think the Clippers would be like probably the be- the better fit mm-hmm. for Kyle Lowry. It fills their need, and Kyle gets closer to the finals again. So, yeah. okay, I, I, don't, so, I don't mind that. So okay, so so you had Damian Lillard in your back pocket. Did you have anybody else? Outside of Dame, I was telling Ryan throughout this series, I was like, God, disgruntled superstar air is just so toxic. I felt like every team, if you said outlandish superstar trade, Damian Lillard would be at the top of the list. I just felt like Kyle Lowry was an interesting one out of the fact that, like, if you notice where we've been at in terms of our um, scale of point guard, right, we've went from as far as a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, who I feel like is a very, I settled for this trade, despite the fact that I definitely have to give up a similar amount to make this work kind of thing. He's a guy who you literally fit as a cog in your system, is what I'm trying to say. Similar similar thing, I would say, for Colin Sexton. I would say if you're going to just be an isolation basketball team, you throw him in there and tell them tell him that you're going to maybe decrease your touches in terms of overall, but you are going to take turns alongside Kawhi Leonard and Paul George as ISO scoring options. That is also a cog within the system. Then you transfer that energy over to focusing on a guy like Kimba Walker, who we discussed for a little bit, where although you are a little bit lower on him um, in terms of what his potential productivity is, he is an Definitely a step forward upside wise in terms of shot creation, the ability to be a overall team 
team-oriented scorer, a guy who can basically open up the floor for everybody else in a way that's beneficial for him and them. Kyle Lowry, I think, falls into that lane as well. And then Damian Lillard is like the the other end of the spectrum of all of these guys in the sense that he gives you everything that he that 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 you already know is penciled in, while also just flat out being a needle mover by name alone. Right? I think we saw this a little bit with James Harden in the playoffs against uh Milwaukee where although he was playing on one leg, the mere fact of being named James Harden created gravity in a way that opens up other things for uh opens up things for other players which lord you don't really need to open up much for KD but like you know it's it's a good thing to have um but of course guys like Joe Harris as well that uh, the the court is opened up a little bit more for just merely out of having a presence like that on the floor so i just thought i know that Damian Lillard's name is going to come up a lot throughout this series but I do genuinely think that guys like Kyle Lowry, Mike Conley, Spencer Dinwiddie, those are going to be interesting names. In, ba- in the Boston episode, we already had Spencer Dinwiddie as, like, the, the primary target from a realistic standpoint. Um, Obviously, Damian Lillard was also the name brought up for that one as well. Uh, I would say Boston has better trade assets than you guys. Um, I think that might be debatable. I think Marcus Smart is probably the – the thing that make, puts the tip of Boston being a little bit better in terms of being a trade partner with Portland specifically. Um, but then again, if they trade Dame, are they just blowing everything up? So then having Marcus Smart, how effective is that? I know that that's kind of the question that comes up. So, yeah, I think that Kyle Lowry is the name that comes to mind. Uh, I'll kind of table that to Ryan to move it over in terms of that. We have Damian Lillard and Kyle Lowry on the list. Did you have anybody else? on the list or just like what are your reactions to like those two names in terms of how outlandish they could potentially be see that yeah um Kyle that's the thing I don't even think Kyle Lowry's like that that outlandish as a okay okay Ryan Ryan, retort to that real quick because I I think that's an interesting way to look at that I don't even think I don't even think trading for uh, Kyle Lowry is that outlandish I think that's I think that's an interesting statement too I think it's funny because I said Kyle Lowry to Los Angeles at the trade deadline this past Mm -hmm. year you did because my thought process going into that trade was He's the best fit for a team that needs to win now. And then when you think about the fact that he can actually run an offense, the fact that he's a game manager, the fact that he can give you 15 to 20 points a game and be the third option and fit into a role where he's not the number one option. I thought those were the things that made the trade to Los Angeles great simply because he's Kyle Lowry and he fits a positional need. But the problem is the Clippers don't have a lot of trade assets to sweeten the deal. And that was the thing. And it was so weird seeing him back in Toronto because if you remember the last game before the deadline, Kyle Lowry left the arena and just said, like, goodbye. And then he came back after the deadline was over in a Toronto uniform. And I thought that was, I thought that was the weirdest thing. But, um, yeah, I think it's I think Kyle Lowry is maybe the best positional fit for this team because I think if you if you go for Damian Lillard, you have to give up a lot more and he's a and he's a number 1 option. Whereas I think Kyle Lowry fits in as the third potential option on this team. Second, if 
if we think about Kawhi Leonard not being on the team next year. So I think that is what's interesting. Rashad, I know you have a point. I was going to say everything you just said, honestly. Like, he, <laughs> he fits he fits that role of we need someone to come in, slow the game down, run a scheme, and make sure we get a bucket on this possession, whether he's the one scoring it, which most likely he won't be, or setting someone else to do it, or setting up someone else to do it. And then people forget, like, Kyle Lowry is a really solid defender, too. He's small, but he, he's thick. Like, he's a... He's one of he's one of those those stocky sort of point guards, and you know he he's reliable on the defensive end. He's ri- reliable offensively, and he's not someone that's going to make a lot of mistakes. I think the one problem, one of the few problems with the Clippers roster, was that they had a bunch of turnover heavy guys. Like, and it comes with playing ISO ball too. It's just like you're relying on one person every possession to get you a bucket, right? It's no longer a team game when you tell Reggie Jackson to go ISO on the left wing, right? Like, and, and if he can't get it done, then, oh, well, we'll just get him next time, right? That was, that was their issue, and that led to a bunch of turnovers. It led to a lot of bad possessions. Kyle Lowry comes in and remedies that issue. He doesn't give you bad possessions. He doesn't let the team run ISO ball because he knows, as a winner, that's not going to fly. Before we close out this episode, I want to ask you guys some rapid-fire questions about the Clippers. So, Rashad, I'll start with you. Most underrated player on your team? I think I think it's Serge Ibaka, mainly for the fact that he will be coming off the injury and people are going to be, you know, he, he's 31 going on 32. It's going to be like, oh, you know, what is Serge really going to do for this squad next year? He's got a player option. Obviously, we still don't know what he's going to do with that. Um, but yeah, he's still someone that can contribute. And I think people are going to see that this year again. Jalen, someone outside of Serge Ibaka, who is an, who is an underrated player on the Clippers. Nicholas Batum. I mean, big during the playoffs, six eight, two thirty. was able to facilitate at a pretty good rate, was a guy who stretched the floor for him, a guy who got pretty disrespected by many with signing with Charlotte because of the contract he signed, that's more so than exactly his play style. He got paid big bucks because that was the name in the free agency market that kind of lined up with that kind of money that he commanded. We're talking about a guy who fell into that original 3 and D role back with the Portland Trailblazers back when that position, I mean, that position is already very difficult to find now, but now it's become a commodity that every team feels obligated to have on their team to have a chance to win a championship. And Nicholas Batum does that in a very subtle way. He's not a 3 and D wing that's going to give you 25 a night like a Jason Tatum, for example, but he's a guy that has all the frames of a Jason Tatum while being more controlled a lot more of a facilitator as opposed to a scorer and I mean he did his thing on this team this year with the expectations being relatively low so Jalen sticking with you on this one most improved player on the Los Angeles Clippers most improved player I think I think Reggie told it I think he told the media himself that he was the most improved player on on this team I think he took his game to a completely different level he put himself in a completely different tax bracket this offseason as well. You talk about guards in the draft. I think the guards in this free agency class are just as interesting out of the fact that, again, we had a top five that didn't have Reggie Jackson in it either. But I think that just goes to tell you how interesting this point guard class can be depending on how 
you know, the needle is moved and how things shake up. I think that he could be somebody who the Clippers actually prioritize as retaining in terms of being able to share up the guard position. And I mean, he was a guy for Detroit who was the lead man and it didn't really amount to very much. And when asked to play a very specific role for the Clippers, not only was he able to step into that role and like play at a relatively high level, but I mean, he was a a huge, a huge reason as to why they were even relatively competitive in that series against Phoenix, especially with Kawhi Leonard going down. So, I mean, you got it. I feel like Reggie Jackson's got to be at the top of that list. Rashad, most improved player on your team outside of Reggie Jackson? I want to say it's Marcus Morris because and, – and right, don't get me wrong, right? This is a guy that we saw in – New York averaged 19 and a half points, right? But I think the leap from someone who was a relatively low efficient efficiency scorer to someone who can shoot 47 from the field, 47 from three, and be a reliable third, fourth option, depending on how Reggie Jackson is feeling on whatever night they're playing together. Um, to be able to coexist with someone or with people like Kawhi and Paul George and still be a reliable option and someone they can lean on because that guy was taking a lot of isolation possessions. That wasn't by accident. They were, they were specifically drawing those plays for Marcus Morris because he had improved so much throughout his entire career, really. But especially the leap from last year, only playing 19 games to, to this year or not 19 games, but. He played 62 games. He didn't play the entire season, but only having those 20 games with the Clippers last year to now being what he is now. And I think that warrants him being the, the MIP for the squad. So sticking with Rashad on this one, what seed do you predict the Los Angeles Clippers will finish at next season? If I want to be a, a generous fan, I'm going to say probably the fourth seed. But I think in reality, they're, they're hovering around the five, six, potentially seven range, right? It all depends on how long Kawhi is out. But I think, I think we're going to see the return of MVP, MVP G13, right? Someone who can, in his seven games without Kawhi, average 30 and 11, right? In games that matter, in games that he needed to perform. And he showed us that he can do it again. At that year, he was top three MVP, top three defoy voting, 28 points a night. Like that, that was Paul George. And we saw glimpses of that this postseason. And I think we're going to see it more, especially next year. Jalen, same question. What seed do you predict the Los Angeles Clippers will finish next season? I agree. I think four or five. I think one of the things that's underrated that comes off as a disrespectful comment is that Paul George plays very well when the expectations are low. Um, I know that comes off as kind of petty because you're like, okay, so when the lights get bright, he disappears. I think, yes, I think that's part of why the entire playoff P thing got its memes out for plenty of the time was because when the lights were brightest, you didn't see some of his greatest um performances. Now, I think this this past offseason has maybe tweaked our analysis of that to a certain extent because, you know, living in the moment, everybody likes to make a choice based on what they last saw on TV. But overall, I think this is going to be an entire season where we can go into the season expecting that Kawhi Leonard will not play on this team, at least be on the floor for this team. 
until at least post-All-Star break at the soonest. And again, I mentioned this off-camera, but the dude missed an entire season essentially with a thigh contusion. I don't know if a partially torn ACL is the kind of, you know, kind of injury that he's going to come back relatively quickly on. So I think that that's one of those things that's really interesting to me because I think when Paul George is in a situation, we saw this, like, like Rashad mentioned with Oklahoma City, where another situation where I don't necessarily think there were high expectations for that Oklahoma City team and he finished top three in the MVP votes that year and arguably kind of could have been in the mix for even better than that if I do say so myself in terms of how I viewed him that season. Um, I think if they were a little bit higher in the standings, I think we would have had a lot more debate than we got in regards to where PG ended up. So I think four or five is low-key respectable considering if they can retain some of the guys that they're already looking at, Reggie Jackson and Nicholas Batum, one of the two or both of them would be serviceable. And, you know, I don't think that, I mean, they have one of the richest dudes in the world as their owner, which means that their luxury tax situation is something you don't even need to worry about because if he wants them, he'll pay them. Essentially, he just needs them on the he just needs them on the uh, on the payroll. If he has them on the payroll in any respects, he's in a situation where he's going to be able to get them the money that they deserve, essentially. So I think that four or five is pretty respectable for where they can finish off because they have the kind of roster. If they bring everything back just as is, they can be relatively uh, dangerous, especially in the regular season. So, to close out the episode today, as is tradition with this NBA Wheel of Fandom series, we will hand the floor over to Rashad, the fan of the Clippers, the super fan of the Clippers, regarding the team pertaining to this past season and things up ahead. So, Rashad, take the floor. Thank you, by the way. Um... Overall, I was I was very impressed in the playoffs, and I was very impressed with the fact that as much of an anti-ISO ball guy that I am, I cannot deny that it worked, right? It got them to, it got them to game six of the Western Conference Finals, and they beat the one seed and arguably, like, like handedly, right? Like, they, they had the Jazz. Uh, they had their number. Um... There were just a lot of bright moments this season, especially this postseason. And obviously the ones in Terrence Mann, Reggie Jackson's surge as a great isolation player and scorer. Um, I'm really excited to see the kind of moves they're going to have to make this offseason because there are a lot of decisions that they will have to make in terms of who you're going to resign, who's on the trading block, what moves can you make that are going to push that needle and make you a Western Conference Finals team or potentially a Finals team again in the absence of Kawhi. Does Kawhi come back? The most exciting part about the Clippers is that their next season and their roster next year could be drastically different. There could be players coming in that maybe we didn't talk about this season that come or in this podcast that come in and make an impact, right? And obviously we didn't get to everybody. There are so many different names like Jalen. So like this, point guard class in particular in this free agency is, is top notch when it comes to people that are going to come in and fill a role but I'm excited I think the Clippers are going to have another good year this will be hopefully fingers crossed year number three of Paul George in the Clippers uniform and I'm excited 
Go Clips, baby. Clipper Nation. So on that note, transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, what do you believe are the expectations of the Los Angeles Clippers next season? We want to thank our guest, Rashad Christian, for coming back on the pod with us and talking some Los Angeles Clippers basketball. This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.